Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Here for the Right Reasons, Us Weekly's Bachelor podcast. I am your host, Sarah Heron, and this week I caught up with Ben Higgins. Um, ben recently went on a trip for the charity work he does with Project Hope, and you are going to hear Ben talk all about that. But then, of course, we did a dive into Zach's finale. I asked Ben what he would have told Zach about the fantasy suite and why he thinks Sean Lowe gets the call instead of him. Um, I know Sean's our, quote, successful bachelor, but Ben was very highly regarded during his time on the show, so I asked him about that. I asked him about the future of the franchise, and he had a surprising answer for what he thinks would be the gold mine um, for the franchise to keep going. So I'll leave that as a tease. We talked about his recent run-in with Chris Lane, Lauren, his ex-fiance's husband, how things are with his wife, Jessica, and a few other things. So Ben was pretty candid. I thought it was a fun chat. Before we dive into that, there are a few news items I wanted to mention in case you missed it. Teddy from Clayton's season is engaged to her boyfriend Nicholas. Teddy has been so under the radar with this guy we don't even know his last name but she three months after going public has announced that they are engaged. She posted a very sweet video saying so this is love. I am engaged and feel so blessed to get to spend forever with my best friend. I've been crying for days since it happened and it still feels like a dream. So we don't really know exactly when Teddy and this man started dating because she was obviously on Paradise this fall, taped in the summer, aired during the fall. She had her whole thing with Andrew and everyone like pressuring them to want to be together, but she didn't want to be with him or be on the show, clearly regretted going on the show, must have left the show, met this guy, Nicholas. They fell head over heels and they are now engaged. She did clarify that even though they went public three months ago, they've been together for longer than that. And she even felt like she shared him more recently than or before that. Um, but it was December when she initially posted this guy. Obviously seems pretty fast. We know that Teddy was pretty open about her religion on the show, so maybe she is moving quickly that way, following in Maddie Pruitt's uh, footsteps. I don't know, but congratulations to Teddy. Kind of great that she's able to find someone and only share a little bit, enough where we don't even know his last name. She's kind of in that sweet spot of Bachelor Nation where... Hopefully she's getting, you know, maybe something out of being on the show. She has enough followers to influence her life, but isn't quite getting, you know, too much of people digging into her personal life. So congratulations to Teddy. I wonder what Andrew thinks. I wonder if anyone's going to ask him. 
I listened to Caitlin Bristow on her fiance Jason Tardick's podcast, Trading Secrets, and I thought it was really interesting. Jason, if you've never listened, is obviously a big finance guy, and he is always trying to figure out how much people are making in various different walks of life, but he does reality TV episodes, I think either once a month or every two weeks, and those are fascinating to me. He's had people on from The Challenge. He's had people on from Survivor. Um all different kinds of reality shows and kind of digs into how much money they make for the actual show, but then in their like influencer career post show. And he finally had Caitlin on and she's had a lot of different reality TV ventures and stints and different kind of tenures, even within Bachelor Nation. And I wanted to just say some of the highlights. You can go listen to the full episode if you want. It's actually a two-parter, but she said a lot of things that I thought were interesting, including when she... After she was done on Crystal's season, ABC was interested in having her be the Bachelorette, but they couldn't completely commit to her yet. They were obviously, as we know, still talking to at least Brit and maybe even other people at the time, but they also didn't want her. She couldn't go get a job because she was like waiting around to find out and she had no money. So they gave her $1,500 to live off of in between seasons 19 of The Bachelor and season 11 of The Bachelorette. And I thought that was interesting. And... Then they came to her and they said, you know, we think we're going to do this thing with you and Britt. And in case you weren't around back then, they had Britt and Caitlin both be the Bachelorettes on night one. And the men who they had kind of cast, some men for Britt, some men for Caitlin, let them meet them and then vote on like who was going to be the Bachelorette. It was insane. Honestly, what time to be alive. But as I said to Ben Higgins, which you'll hear later, part of me thinks they need to just throw something wild on the show and see if it'll get more viewers. And while I don't think this would be a good idea and would probably backfire because it was hard enough to kind of get people behind Rachel and Gabby both being the Bachelorette thinking they were going to be pitted against each other, which obviously Caitlin and Britt were. Something like this, I mean, it's horrible, but it would be interesting to watch. Maybe not quite that, but they got to mix it up a little bit. Um, anyway, so she said they came to her with this idea and they offered her only $40,000. And she said to Jason, you think I'd be like jackpot, sign me up because she had no money at the time. But instead she had a friend who advised her to hire a entertainment lawyer who her stepdad helped pay. And he changed and negotiated a lot of her contract. This is Caitlin speaking. She said, one of the executive producers said to me, you've got an entertainment lawyer and you're asking for this amount of money. I'm sorry. I thought this was about love for you. F off, I said. It's about love and money. They go hand in hand for me right now. Because they were said you're going to go against Brit, I was like, I'm not doing it. And then I said, I'll only do it if you paid me as much as you played Chris Souls. I said I wanted to make the same amount as he did, which obviously seems very fair and something she should not have even had to ask for the same amount of money as The Bachelor before her. That's insane to me, but I'm really glad Caitlin did this. And I hope other bachelorettes have done something similar if they're coming off a season where especially if they were on it, but even in general, what was the last Bachelor paid? They should be asking, and I hope they all have. Caitlin didn't say the amount that Chris Wills had made, but in the past, a lot of Bachelors have revealed that they were offered um, $75,000 or $100,000 to be the lead. So at the time, it was probably in that range. Um, she also noted that she was worried she was going to lose the gig to Brit, but um, had negotiated it that she would still get some money if Brit was chosen. And she kind of hinted that she doesn't know if Brit did the same, which is unfortunate. 
She obviously still has her Neil Lane ring from Sean Booth. I guess not obviously, but she does still have it. They lasted more. They lasted three years, which is over the two year threshold to get to keep the ring. But Caitlin did note that Neil Lane has the first rights of buying the ring back. I think she just has it in her house, doesn't know what to do with it. And when Jason kept asking her what she thinks she could get for it, she estimated she could sell the ring for $30,000 if she had permission, which I mean, they're planning a wedding. I feel like I think people might, you know, give her some crap for it because it's so many years later. Or maybe not because it's so many years later. I think you should sell it. Why not? I mean, uh, what's her name? Shanna Mochler, Travis Barker's wife. I feel like she's auctioned off her wedding during the height of the Kravis era. Her wedding ring from Travis. Kind of iconic. A little sad, but kind of great. Caitlin also talked about Dancing with the Stars. And she didn't realize how reveal how much money she made on Dancing with the Stars. But she did confirm something that I long speculated, which is you get a bonus every week you make it. And I think the professional dancers do as well. So that's why if they get maybe a partner who doesn't seem like they're going to be good at dancing, it kind of sucks. But it's also why the fan voting is so important. And But she said something interesting was claiming that the runner-ups make the same as the winner. She said the final four in the episode, they all get paid the same in the final episode. But you're with your signing bonus. I think you negotiated a bit to sign more for going on the show. So people might get a different base, like you're going to be on the show signing bonus to be on Dancing with the Stars, but then they all get paid weekly for how far they make it. And then because the finale has sometimes the final four, sometimes the final three, all still in the episode, they get paid the same amount. It doesn't matter if you win, you still showed up for the same amount of dances and episodes. So it kind of makes sense. It feels maybe like the winner should get another bonus, but like also at that point, you all did the same amount of work. So I kind of like it. She also revealed that the mirror ball, which is the trophy they get, costs $10,000 to make, um, which it's just a little interesting factoid in there. When it comes to her most lucrative gig, Caitlin said being the mentors and guests for Michelle and Katie seasons were the most money she made, which is interesting, especially because Chris Harrison had, you know, told her basically without telling her that she signed a bad deal. And Caitlin has been candid about that. And it's been obvious and something I've actually been pointing out from the beginning. The fact that they were credited as guests and not as hosts was obviously always a money thing. It didn't really make sense. I mean, I guess they could argue they weren't ready to commit to them being the host, but that's literally what they did for two seasons and they were paid a guest fee. But she clearly, they made a decent amount of money because she said that that was her most lucrative gig. Um, she didn't say what they made, but she did say they got a little bit of an increase um, from Michelle's season after doing Katie's season. So I just thought that was really interesting. There was even more in there about her personal finances and life if you want to go listen. And if you still want... Some more info from Gabby. Caitlin had Gabby on and it was an interesting episode. Um, Gabby has been very mature about all of this. She did say a few things about not totally being over the situation and how she wants her best friend to be happy with Zach, meaning Katie. Hopefully they get married, but like it's weird a little bit because she obviously is upset with Zach and still feels violated and confused about what happened. I think it was a little more candid and honest about how awkward things might be than what Katie and Zach have been saying about their relationship with Gabby. But I know those women, if you listen to my interview with Zach and Katie said that they were getting together at the end of the month in Florida. So we'll see if that trip still happens. But for now, here's Ben Higgins. Okay, Ben Higgins, it's been a minute since I've had the pleasure of chatting with you. And I understand you recently went on an exciting trip and I want to hear all about it. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for having me. Um, so I, uh, I recently got back from Columbia, mm-hmm. not more than a week ago, actually. And uh, I went to Columbia with Project Hope. And Project Hope's an organization I joined the board of uh, about a year and a half ago. And so I joined the board because... 
uh, I believed in what they're doing. Uh, I knew of Project Hope because of their impact and size. And then uh, this is my first official trip with them to see what was happening on the ground, which I think was really important for me and really important for really anybody that's involved in an organization to do is to see the work being done, you know, with your own eyes. And tell me what you did during this trip. I understand that you were visiting some health clinics, you were meeting with people. Tell me a little bit about what you actually did when you got there. Yeah, definitely. So Project Hope, um, again, is a very impactful organization. It's it's fairly large in size. And so the resources and scope at which they can make um, good things happen uh, is pretty incredible. There's really two main areas that Project Hope focuses in, uh, healthcare uh, and then disaster relief. And so to summarize it, it's healthcare and disaster relief, are the two simplest ways to understand it. Mm-hmm. And in Colombia, um, it's really interesting, right? If you've been following along for the last few years, you realize there's been a huge um, migration of Venezuelans to Colombia. I think it's like 1.8 million people uh, have gone uh, to Colombia. Uh, there is an open border now. And that's uh, it's great that people are able to find homes and kind of get to a place where they feel comfortable and they can start kind of afresh and anew. The only issue is uh, that this influx uh, of migrants have really put a, a big stress on the healthcare system in Colombia. And so what Project Hope is uh, really doing in Colombia, right there along the border. So we're in uh, Cucuta, Colombia, uh, which is like the northeast side of the country, right on the border. Uh, what they're doing is they're investing into the healthcare systems that have already existed there, uh, helping with medications, uh, helping with training, um, equipping, resourcing. Uh, we really visited uh, a lot of hospitals, uh, mental health hospitals uh, that Project Hope is involved in. Um, that was something I've never done uh, either inside of the United States or outside of the United States. I've never gone into a place where people are getting essential uh, mental health care. Um, that was a really incredible experience. Uh, then also to uh, maternity uh, units uh, inside of some of the hospitals that exist there in Kukata, uh that primarily are um, are helping Venezuelan you know refugees. Uh, so we met a lot of the women uh, who had either traveled across the border or who were living in uh, Colombia at the time, uh, having their babies. Uh, one of the the most impactful stories for mm-hmm. me was uh, we met. Uh, a young lady who was 15 years old and who was pregnant, mm-hmm. who on her travels from Venezuela to Colombia um, suffered a heart attack, mm-hmm. uh, which I was unfamiliar uh, with. But there is a, a certain term um, and diagnosis for for women who are, are susceptible to having some type of heart issues while pregnant. I didn't know this. Uh, I'm learning kind of as I go. But she had um, this issue, had a heart attack, was found um, she was with uh, her mother um, at the time. Uh, the ambulance took her to the hospital. They were able to not only save her life, but also the baby's life. Um, and uh, the baby was there. The mother was weeping. Uh, you could tell. I mean, this was fresh. This had just happened a few days before, but um, she didn't really know who Project Hope was. Uh, right. She didn't really understand, you know, the back end side of the support that Project Hope gives. Um, for the resources and training. But when she saw people come in and just stand next to her daughter, she just started weeping. You could tell um, a traumatic experience, but also a really incredible experience because both people were healthy and and um, going to be able to, to leave from the hospital fairly soon. Um, and then we went to the border 
uh, I walked across the bridge, uh, one of the many bridges, I guess, uh, that connect the two countries, um, saw uh, the the situation uh, and the influx of people. I mean, it was still a very busy road. There were still a lot of people coming back and forth. Uh, um, and so you can just see um, the stresses that would put on a country, uh, a country especially that's not prepared for it. And so um, it was, uh, yeah, it was it was an encouraging trip, I'd say, overall, though. Mm-hmm. because I feel really good about my involvement with Project Hope and I feel really excited about the the opportunities that Project Hope are going to get is going to give. I mean, Project Hope's also in Turkey right after the earthquake. They're in Ukraine, uh in Poland, uh providing resources right after um you know, Russia invaded. So, uh and then domestically, you know, they've responded to the the hurricanes in Florida. Uh they respond to domestic um disaster relief situations. So I just feel really excited about the impact that could be made now um, with yeah. this team. Uh, they're pretty incredible. You mentioned a lot of very interesting things, but I, I think a lot of times people think about maybe bringing over relief or bringing material items, bringing things people need, which is obviously incredibly important. But I don't ever really think about sometimes maybe going to another country and doing some mental health kind of work mm. or advocacy there. And I know you've been very open about your own mental health journey over the years. You wrote a book about it, like you had a lot. So was that something that kind of, is easier to almost even do or exciting and rewarding to do because it's like a way to connect different cultures. It's like, that's one thing we all got to work on. Yes. I think you touched on a few things that get me really excited. One is, you know, I wrote the book uh, with my own personal experience of feeling alone at times in this world. And I really have no excuse to feel alone. Right. Like mm-hmm. um, I live in, in a great country in a great community. I have a great wife, I have a great family. Like I, you know, I, um, but I still struggle with it. And so as I started writing the book and, and learning other people's stories, I realized it doesn't really matter the circumstances. Circumstances do play into it. Right. Like, but everybody feels uh, has felt lonely or isolated or, uh, you know, sad, depressed at, at some point that that is kind of a thread line that connects us as human beings is that we have experienced some sort of pain. Uh, and if you haven't yet, I believe that the human experience um, will bring on some sort of sadness at some point. And you're going to have to dig deep and feel something that maybe you're not comfortable feeling or that you're not used to feeling. And so going to Columbia and going this to this uh, hospital that's caring so well for these people. Um, yes, it, 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 I'd say encouraging was one. Two, I, I spent a lot of time standing kind of in the back um, as this the director was giving us a tour um, and seeing people on different, you know, uh, different levels of mental health needs, right? Um, some in isolation, some able to, you know, cook for the rest of the people, some uh, just needing to sit alone in silence and kind of process with maybe a counselor, a guide next to them. I just kind of was able to watch this. Uh, and it's it, it's a it's a very beautiful picture of people, um, ev- you know, caring for others in their times of need. And I think when you do it in a different country, in a place that you're already unfamiliar with and already uncomfortable with, and that you don't really have a lot of expectations um, for what you're going to see, uh, for me, it is inspiring that that is happening, what I would believe all over the world. Now, could it be better? Sure. Mm-hmm. It could be better here in the U.S. It could be better anywhere, but that people are doing it and that people are called to do it and people are are serving and caring for people well in their in their times of feeling lonely. So, yes, it did. It was that was a uh, a really incredible visit. That's that place for me. That was one that I walked away 
um, learning a lot. We're going to circle back to your trip, of course, but I do have to ask you a few questions about The Bachelor, as you will probably, you know, be answering forever. One, I did want to say I saw you posted a fun throwback pic from Caitlyn's season just last month. Were you just feeling nostalgic? I am. Yeah, I am feeling nostalgic. It's You know what I did? I was looking back through my camera roll for for Mm -hmm. what I came across all the pictures and I have a lot I could have shared um, from that season of life. And that picture has always like been a really fun one for me because uh, I remember that day very vividly. Uh, The people on that date were some of my closest friends and still are from that show. And so I remember we all got ready. We're like, you know, typically you're not super excited to go on a group date. It's not really like the the goal, but we were all like, are you kidding me? We're all for the first time getting to go do this thing together in this small group and have a lot of fun. Like that was really cool uh, for us. And then I looked at that picture and I posted it and I wanted to add something about this, but I, I chose not to. But if you look at that picture, I think like, is it three out of the six or seven of us now are married with kids? Um, Most of us are married. A few are still out there single and mingling and doing their thing. Um, but that like in a in, in a few years, but not that long a time, like life changes quickly. And it's really cool to remember those guys as single and looking and wanting and dreaming to now settling into, you know, their relationships and being being dads and so yeah, it's, it's, it was a fun picture to see. Yeah, that was a good one. I feel like everyone in the comments was just like loving it, eating it up. They were like, this was an elite group. And I think it's just, it begs an interesting question with this show overall. And I know you covered Zach's season on Almost Famous and you follow along yeah. because you've been doing the podcast for so long. And I kind of feel like, is there some sort of unfair advantage almost to, or like a disadvantage to every lead that comes up and gets chosen now? Because as a group, as a fan base, Bachelor Nation is always like, glamorizing what was and not that that season wasn't great and like you all were great your season's great Caitlin's great love you all but I just feel like whoever's on screen everyone's comparing and then five minutes ago we were criticizing that person like Clayton was like everyone hated me and now they're like we miss you when Zach was airing and I just feel like that must be such a mind f for the lead to try to even the show to try to figure out (laughs) yeah I think you're right I mean I think we look back on the past um you know, we do it in every way, right? Oh, I wish I would have lived in the 80s, the yeah. 60s, the 50s, the 40s. I was made for the 20s, you know? I was made to, to in the roaring 20s, like all those things. Like we look at, I think with The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, there was a golden era. era and mm-hmm. I think the reason for that is um, because everybody that, you know, you could, it was easy to convince people to watch it. We didn't have a lot of competition. Um, and so the thing that made it unique and special and that did separate it from what it is today is the fact that most of the people you knew in your circle of friends were getting together to watch and talk about the show. And that's not the case anymore. And that's not because the show has necessarily changed drastically or that the leads and the contestants still aren't great because I think they are. Uh, it's because there's competition now and there's streaming platforms and life now has taken a really big switch. When I was on The Bachelorette, social media really wasn't a thing. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. Um, it was not anywhere close to what it is today, and it wasn't really anywhere close to what it was even during my season of The Bachelor. It just was getting started, and so now we're we've we've really moved to this whole new way of consuming content and and being entertained. But I think back then life was uh, a little, uh, you know, entertainment did exist on the television screen and did exist through the, you know, four major networks. And that just happened to be the biggest show at the time. So everybody was talking about it. Everybody was criticizing it. Everybody was celebrating it. Everybody was in it. And now, you know, 
if you watch The Bachelor, you're you're not on an island alone. There's still many people that watch it, but it's a smaller island than it was. Yeah, that's true. If you were in charge over at The Bachelor at ABC, would you go with keeping this plot, this uh, formula the same? Because it is working in some degree. They still win their night. Like it does enough and people enough yeah. people are still watching it. Or I think they go something crazy drastic and throw some wild twist in for the next season just to see if they can get a new group and then see if it works. I don't know what the twist is, but I feel like they got to like freshen up the format. But in another argument to be made is the format still kind of works like enough people are watching it like it's it's a risk, but I think they should just like do something crazy. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the format's interesting because every year since my time on the show, I thought I was going to be and there's been seasons that this existed I, I probably could think of two maybe i don't even know if i could tell you what season they were i just remember watching them they were like this is not going to entertain me it's going to be the same thing over and over again but every season somehow they do come up with something new and different every season Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. At the very end, the story switches and changes and keeps us on the edge of our seats as fans wanting to tune in for that final episode. Yeah. I think as long as they can do that, they're good. I do think um, I do think it's it's time to modernize it a little bit. Um, I think it's time to catch up a little bit um, with, you know, where we're at. I don't know what that would look like either, though. You know, they yeah. tried it with the two bachelorette thing. Um, it it was I actually think it it was better than what was people expected better than what was expected i thought i think it worked um i don't think it pitted the two of them against each other i do think they ran individual lanes i thought um it was a little messy at times but it worked uh and it was interesting i think they could try it with the bachelors um i think they gotta try it with the bachelors just to make it even just to throw it out there (laughs) like what the hell like at some point you should just do it and um you know my big like if if i was in charge this Hmm. would be my big home run okay okay and i'm biased um, and we've been able to do a couple interviews and I, uh, I don't typically think I'm the, the best suited person for many jobs, but I, I, I do think I would be good at this. Okay. Um, I would really lean into this, uh, senior dating show. Like okay. I, would. I think, I think it's something new. I don't think television has ever seen anything like it. Okay. I think the stories would go back to what we're used to watching when it comes to the bachelor and bachelorette. Those stories are going to be heart wrenching. They're going to be, um, inspiring they're gonna have you know if you're 50 or 60 years old and you're dating on national television that takes a lot of risk it takes something brand new that you you haven't done ever in your life and that you're not used to but you're also gonna have a lot of life experience to share with the audience and with the other contestants and with the suitor and so i uh 
I would lean into this. I think it's a huge home run. I think it can be hilarious. Yeah. I think there's so much good things to it. And I don't know about you, but I feel like like this generation that's in their 20s and 30s, you know, um, we get criticized for not leaning on our elderly for wisdom and advice. And I do think that's that's uh, something we should be doing, listening to, you know, the voices um, that have been through this before. But I also think that we're super curious to understand this generation that's older than us because we're, there's so many things different between the two two generations, right? Yeah. And so this would give us a whole new intrigue and outlook on why do they say the things they say? What? Why do they think the way they think? Why are they so slow to pick up new advancements in technology in this world? I think this would be great. So I would just lean into that. I mean, I, I think it could replace a season of, of the show because I think it would be a home run. Ben, are you pitching yourself for host of Senior Bachelor? Oh, I've done it for uh, since they started announcing it. I've wanted to be the host of that show since the moment I first saw the commercial. I said, this is my dream. Like I, I in college was a part of a cigar club uh, at, at this like little like tobacco shop on like in the city of my campus just to be around people and talk to people about their life stories. Like I since the moment I saw this, I said, yes. Like I won't do it. I'm not asking for a lot from the show. I haven't asked for anything in years, but I am making sure that it is known that if they need somebody, I'm not trying to take Jesse away from the show. Just let me like be there as like the medicine passer outer or like not the bartender. Just let me like figure out what blue pill to put in the bottle. Honestly, that's hilarious. And such an interesting idea. I did not expect you to say that about the senior bachelor. I feel like they've been teasing it forever. I understand from what I've heard is they're having some issues casting it, which would make sense. And to find people, they would probably be there for the right reasons, but hard to figure out maybe who wants to give up their time to be doing that at that age. But it's kind of fascinating when you think about it, the way you put it. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. So I, I, if anything, maybe I could just do a sales pitch. Yeah, I just want I just want to be involved. I just want to be there. I want to see it. You want to golf with whoever they pick to be the senior bachelor. That's what you want. (laughs) Yeah, that that feels like a great perk from being a host of the show. Yes, I think I can pull that one off. Um, Well, I mean, it is funny because this season they had Sean Lowe pop pop up about 20 times. And I understand that he's, quote unquote, the successful bachelor. It makes sense. A lot of things they did with Zach reminded me of Sean. They were trying to, like, bring back that magic, which it's nothing against Zach, but just the people, the 2020-13 version of The Bachelor and the 2023 version and the audience and the way it's viewed are just not the same. So it, you, yeah. you, it just doesn't make sense to me, but that's clearly what they were trying to do with putting Sean there and just with the way they framed a lot of things, in my opinion. But I mean, I, Ari Leindyke told me this not that long ago. He was like, I love Sean, but they should probably invite the bachelors who made the mistakes to give the advice. Mm. And you, I feel like, I mean, I know you didn't end up with Lauren, whatever, but, and everyone has their criticisms, but you were very well loved as a bachelor in a Sean Lowe kind of sense. Don't you think, do you think that you should be out there giving the advice? What would you have told him before fantasy suites? Would Zach have ended up in this mess if you were there, Ben? Yeah, he probably still would have ended up in the mess. I can't take, uh, I can't take the credit for fixing his problems. Um, You know, Sean was, Sean was a trooper because I imagine he said, yes, I'll show up to give this guy advice. And they kept calling him and being like, come on, he needs you. And he just kept showing up. Good for him. Um, You know, if they called me and they said, hey, you're going to sit down with this guy and give him some advice, I would do it in a second. The reason would be one, it's fun to be back. Uh, It's exciting. I don't, you know, have cameras in my face at all anymore. So it is fun to be back too. Um, this is a really weird world. And when you can sit down with somebody and actually tell them, Hey, I've been through it too. And you're going to be okay. No matter what happens. 
Um, yeah, you could be beloved. You could feel like this thing worked out perfectly for you, or you could be criticized. You're going to be fine. Like you're yeah. going to be fine. It's all going to work out. That is, um, you know, that's kind of going back to this conversation about the elderly bachelor show. Um, that's a, that's a place that you need to, when people ask you for your insight, you need to say yes to it. And so mm-hmm. I would say yes to it. But the one thing I would have told Zach, you know, um, Sean Lowe, I think, uh, you know, was, uh, very much known for being a Christian bachelor. I don't think his storyline of being a born again virgin really was a part of his season. I don't think sex was a massive topic on his season at the time. I think that came afterwards for me. You know, I think most people knew Sean and I share the same faith tradition. I am a Christian. Um, there are things about that, that, you know, you, you kind of put some boundaries up on or, or values or morals, but Sean and I maybe like don't see eye to eye on all those things physically. Um, but we do come from the same faith tradition. What I would have told Zach was, Hey, um, you can have your, um, feelings, you can have your, um, convictions. Uh, but this, at this point in time, especially is not just about you. This is no longer your season of the bachelor. This is you and these women trying to figure out if this is going to work or not. And so these big topics that you're like, that, you know, are big storylines that are going to be dramatic and they're going to be headlines and all these things. Keep them to yourself, buddy. Like yeah. you've made it this far. Like you don't need to give the show anything more. Keep it to yourself. Talk about it behind the door. Talk about it between the two of you. You have two weeks left and most of those two weeks are going to be off camera. So just like, don't give the show anything else to make anything like, and I did now. I'm, I, again, yeah. I said, I loved you two people right before the end of the show. I didn't need to do that. Like that right. was not, that was not something I needed. And so I just would have told him, Hey, talk about it behind the closed doors. You guys figure this out together. You're done. Like there, you're there, on the home stretch. There was a period of time where what happened in the fantasy suites was only ever alluded to. And it wasn't yeah. so like it revealed. And as an audience member, I mean, to some degree, you know, you want the drama and you want to know, but I also think maybe we could just, everyone, the cast and the audience could benefit maybe from a little bit more of the pandering to the socks on the ground and leaving it open to interpretation. Cause it feels like when you watch someone like Gabby, that wasn't even fun to watch. That was just sad on after the final rose. I just felt bad for her and the situation. And Zach put his, you know, did he messed up and he gave the show too much. Like you said, if he had those conversations behind closed doors, who knows? So I think that maybe they need to just go back to not telling us every single thing that happens. Cause the point of that, the show was maybe to leave it up to the imagination a little bit for that week. And now it's gone. We just know everything. We don't need it. Like, no, we don't. Did it, if you really look at what it did for us as the viewer, it did nothing more than help solidify a week early that he wasn't, you know, yeah. into, you know, marrying Gabby. And you do. I mean, ultimately, when it comes down to situations like this, there's, you know, Zach got to do what he wanted to do. Right. He got to say what he thought the week was going to look out, look like he had to backtrack on that. And then he got to tell Katie what happened. He got it off his chest because, oh, by golly, I'm, you know, it's just eating me up inside. And I got to tell you, really, only one person was hurt and didn't get to do what they wanted to do. And that was Gabby. Only one person. Uh, was ultimately leaving the show without a partner. And I don't know if she would say it was humiliation. I don't, I don't want to put those words in her mouth. But it, a little bit of it is no matter what you feel about people, millions of people talking about your sex life, it is a little humiliating to be, then be broken up with. Like yeah. it has to be. And so then she has to sit there, leave the show alone. Her, her whole experience gets displayed in front of her friends and family and, you know, 
the audience. And then Zach gets to skip off into the sunset and, you know, be with Katie. Yeah. I think it's it's very unfair. And so, yes, I I agree. I don't really want to know. Like, yeah. if they, if they want to, you know, dance around naked to some really good 70s song, go do it. Just don't tell us about it. Like, it's not my deal. Yeah. Or make sure we're both aligned with telling. As long as if we're both in, you know, agreement, sure. that's fine. But if one isn't sure and you're kind of leaving it, like, I might imply something happened versus, which is how Gabby took it and Zach took it as, okay, now I'm going to tell everyone in my confessionals. That was a tough misunderstanding, but I think it all started going wrong when everyone started just revealing every single thing that happened in the fantasy suites. Um, but I've asked a couple of leads this, and I usually ask them right after the season ends, and I don't know if they can even really answer at the time, but you're so far removed. Is there a point, and what is the point where the lead needs to start thinking about the real world and the consequences to set themselves up for success? Is it that fantasy sweet week because it's the first time you're kind of given time alone? Is it before then? Is it not possible? Like, is there a mark where they should maybe like start trying to think outside the show versus like going through the motions and I'm the bachelor and I get to, you know, get to have as many girlfriends until the end. And then I pick you or like, if you yeah. go a few weeks before, maybe you'll set up success for the end with your winner. Yeah. I, I think it's hometowns. Okay. I think hometowns is really um, a crucial week because you are going to meet the family and you are getting some exposure into what life looks like for them outside of that world. Um, I think hometowns is important also to ask those questions. Like what is, who, who, what are they like, you know, outside the show? Like, what do they like to do? What do you guys like to do as a family? Like get to see that picture. And then you move into fantasy suite week and you can talk about a lot of those things. Like, Hey, your family is really, really tough on me. Are they going to be cool if we get mm. together at the end of this? Are they going to invite me in? Or is this just one big joke to them? You know, those kind of conversations. But I also think it's hard because all of a sudden you come off of this show and you're kind of in this weird little bubble and you have the interviews and you have the press and you have people reaching out wanting to pay you more money you could ever dream of to be on social media and you're going to get invited to red carpets and like life looks different um, very quickly for the couple. Uh, I think, you know, in my experience, it was we were in Jamaica for like five more days post filming with everybody gone. Nobody was there anymore. And that was really the time to like, hey, when is your birthday? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your phone number? Uh, right. Like start to build that because then you're leaving, you know, and moving then to a period of life where you're isolated again as a couple and kind of seeing each other in these little like weird dates. But I think hometowns is where you can start thinking about that stuff. Until then, it's not really worth it because yeah. it's just chaos. It's chaos and confusion. That makes sense. Hometowns. Okay. Well, I mean, speaking of, I have a few more questions for you. I did hear you on Chris Harrison's podcast talking about seeing Lauren's husband at a golf thing. He, You said nice things about him. I spoke to them days after that, and I told them what you said. And Chris yeah. Lane had a, very nice things to say about you. And I told Lauren that you guys joked about if this was a reality show, you definitely would have ended up golfing together. Yeah. Um, when you had the same score and she laughed and she thought it was a missed opportunity um, herself. Um, so mm -hmm. what's like to hear that you guys have really been able to, from a distance to support each other. And maybe you will end up golfing with him one day. I would love to. Um, he was great. And uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I said it in the interview and I'll say it again. I was uh, anxious about it. Uh, I knew her dad was going to be down there as his caddy. I knew Chris was going to be there. You just, I don't know Chris. So you just never know how that's going to feel. Like yeah. you, you never know, you know, it's not like something that you really desire to have happen. And it's not something you plan on happening. You don't 
go out of your way to run into, you know, your ex's uh, partner. Yeah. Uh, but immediately it was great, right? Immediately, like, it was really fun and we kind of broke through it and I got to see Lauren's dad again and he was awesome. And immediately, like, tides were, you know, kind of brought down and our my anxiety, I don't know if they even cared. <laughs> I, I think maybe I was making more of it than I needed to be. Um, love the golf with them. Um, we should have, we had the same score. That was a ridiculously missed opportunity. I thought it was for sure happening. I thought it was going to be hilarious. Yeah. Um, but to get to your first question, like, what's it like? It feels good. Um, quite honestly, you know, I, it was, it was just a, a weird ending. Um, it was a very, uh, drastic, quick ending. It was, um, kind of like, we're done. Let's go two different directions. And, and I think when you're with somebody for as long as we were and you care about somebody as much as, you know, I think we cared about each other. I think that just feels weird. Uh, and you don't really know like how the other person's doing or you don't really know if there's forgiveness or if forgiveness is even needed or, you know, how to like settle it. And so, you know, now that life has moved on and I'm married and she's married with kids. Uh, I think it just is, it's a really healthy place and it's good for my mental health. It's good for my lack of jealousy and envy in life to just get to a place where it's like, no, I want to see you thrive. Like, why would yeah. I not? I want to see you do so well because, you know, obviously, um, you still care. You still want to see that person do well because at some point in your life, you saw enough of them. That you're like, no, I, I think you're awesome. So yeah, it feels good. I'm glad we're at that spot. I'm glad we could get there. I would encourage anybody to try to get in there and even with their toughest relationships, if the relationship ended in a healthy place yeah. overall. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's a, I will say it's, it, it's a really good feeling to know that in January we saw each other. I feel like I have nothing but amazing things to say about him. And now I can sit here and go, yeah, if he's, you know, in Dallas next week when I play in the invited celebrity classic, which I am, um, I would love it. It'd be awesome. I'd be happy to see him. A very healthy outlook from a franchise in a reality TV world that doesn't always, just by trade, create that when everyone's wanting something to be interpreted as shade or wanting drama. It's like, look at this lovely thing. And hopefully one day you guys too golf together and get to break the internet with whatever Instagram video you post. Um, yes, there you go. You've been married for a year and a half now. Congrats on that. Um, do you guys still feel like newlyweds? How's that been? What are your goals as a couple lately? How's it going? We do feel like newlyweds. Uh, we were just talking about today. Um, I have a really great wife. She's really cool. She's really sweet. She really cares. Um, she's the best partner in this relationship by far. Um, you know, there's there's something new all the time. And, you know, Jessica especially never really left Nashville until she moved uh, out here to Denver. And so her life is a very different over the last year and a half. Uh, started her own company that's doing so well. Um, she's always studying skincare, always studying how to help people with stuff I have no clue about. But she's building little, you know, ideas in her head and she's talking about it. And then, you know, some days are stressful for her. You know, it's it's all these things about moving away from home and now living together and forming this new life that we're learning new things about each other all the time. It's been a lot of fun. Our goals as a couple, we're going to Italy in September with my family and her family uh, to celebrate her father's 60th birthday and my mom's 60th birthday. Once we get back from that, I think, you know, we're have huge conversations to, to have. Like, well, when do we want to start a family? Um, you know, I travel a ton right now for for work with Generous and work with Project Hope and Humanity and Hope. Um how do I cut back on that? And what does life look like when I cut back from back on that? Like what is my next 
career look like? Or if I stay in the same career, how do I do that and manage times, you know, health in a healthy way? So those are all conversations we're going to have, but we both promise each other that we're not going to have them until after September. We're going to have a lot of fun in Italy and then we're going to get back. We're going to sit down. We're going to have a family meeting. I love that. Italy sounds amazing. Um, your other partner in life is Ashley. I, um, who you've yeah, been podcasting with so. for very, a lot of years. You guys have made it a long time still yeah. doing. I know the format's changed a little bit. You guys have Trista and them come on, but like very long for, well, you see a lot of podcasts come and go. Um, might be a hard question, but what sticks out to you as maybe one or two of your favorite interviews that you guys have either done in the last however many long or more recently? Um, because that is so impressive that you guys have been doing it for as long as you have. Because how many bachelor podcasts have come and gone? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, over six years now. Yeah. Uh, and we're and like the weird thing is we've grown, and mm -hmm. I, I feel like a lot of people aren't. Uh, um, it's been a, a magical marriage. Uh, I, I love working with Ashley. I love working with iHeart. But there's a, um, uh, when people ask me, who especially who don't know The Bachelor or have ever listened to Almost Famous, what it is Almost Famous is, I say, here's the deal. I have the easiest job in the world. <laughs> Ashley Iconetti knows everything about every pop culture topic, every Bachelor topic possible all i have to do is keep us on time like right. i get to i get to know nothing and it's awesome and it's great and i get to have an opinion that sometimes is warranted and sometimes isn't uh and it works because we're very different people but we have honestly like i don't know if almost famous will end next year or in 10 years or in 30 years i don't know it's gonna be really sad when it does because it's been a lot of fun and i enjoy doing it with ashley and we've never had uh conflict ever never never behind the scenes never really on the show our conflict is usually about you know who's dating who and why yeah. i don't know who they are <laughs> um so you know i think it's worked because we do get along um so well and yeah. uh my favorite interviews i one is my favorite because i felt it was like the the most authentic interview we've ever done it was sh with sean booth after his breakup with caitlin i remember that um, there was some yeah, man tears shed i think a lot of man tears, um, but it also felt a little healing. Like he hadn't really talked about it. And it felt like we were able to give him a space where he knew both of us. And we just sat in that space of confusion and sadness and disappointment and embarrassment for as long as we needed. Um, and he was wanting to offer that, like he was willing to give that up in that time. And it felt like a really special interview. The other one, uh, honestly was with, I, when I interviewed Ashley, right after, um, um, her breakup uh, kind of with uh, Kevin from Winter Games. Oh, wow. He was in a weird place because I, you know, I knew she'd never told me, but I knew she was so into Jared and that she was never going to be satisfied in life unless Jared was her partner. And yeah. yet she was trying so hard to move on from that idea because she didn't think it was ever going to happen. And she was really sad and she was really emotional and she was really scared. Uh, and she, just needed a space to kind of speak about that. And you had to kind of read behind, between the lines a little bit on what she was trying to say. But really what she was trying to say is I love this man who I know and who is also single. And I just want him to give it a shot. And then look, now they're married and now yep. they have a kid. And so I love that interview because I still have pictures of that interview on my phone. Oh. And um, I see that and just remember, like, as a friend of hers, feeling for her and not knowing, like, how to console her. And I didn't want to tell her, yeah, Jared's going to turn and you guys are going to be great. I didn't know that at the time. 
Yeah. And so just letting her have that space and now seeing where she's at, like it's, it's, that was, that's a cool one to look back on. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much for all your time, Ben, that this was very fun Um, to circle back. How can people get involved in project hope? What can they do at home if they want to help you guys on um all the, the mission of all the good stuff they're doing? Definitely. Yeah. So there's, there's multiple lanes to project hope. Uh, You know, if you're somebody that's a gamer, if you're a Twitcher, I think they call them, I don't know, Twitchy, whatever, you, the Twitch platform. The Twitch universe, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Twitch universe. Um, you know, Project Hope has a, a really good following on that. And you can do campaigns while you're gaming uh, to raise money for Project Hope. That's a really wow. cool way to get involved if you're somebody out there who's into that. Also, you know, it's just like any uh, organization, donations are helpful. Go on a trip, um, you know, volunteer um, in your local community. If you're in the healthcare uh, profession, reach out to Project Hope. Um, and then, you know, if there's a disaster in your area, Project Hope's going to be there. I almost guarantee it. And so maybe you can be a volunteer to be on the ground, be boots in the ground, helping heal this, you know, story that's happening more and more often. Uh, you can visit Project Hope at projecthope.org uh, to really learn more and, and see the formal kind of website to how you can get involved. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm involved in it and uh, I, I chose to be involved in it because I, I've now gotten to see what they're doing. But I, I really believe um, that healthcare, disaster relief, caring for those uh, who maybe don't have the opportunities in front of them that maybe you and I do uh, is a really good way to spend your time. And so uh, I'm excited to advocate for them and promote them because uh, good things are happening. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. And if I don't talk to you before September, have a great time in Italy. I'm jealous. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it.